So, Berto, I have a bunch of emails that people have written in to you and me, you and I, and let's yeah. answer them. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor who teaches at Antioch University in Seattle. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I am a professional stone skipper. So this first email is from patron Jess from Utah. She writes, I recently had a friend disclose to me that she was wanting to catfish an ex-boyfriend to see if he went back to his ex-wife. She was planning on making a fake profile so she could catfish him. I could tell she put a lot of work into it. I was completely shocked by this. I did the best I could to help her see that nothing positive will come from it. I would be interested in hearing your and possibly Umberto's perspective on catfishing. (laughs) (laughs) Perspective on catfishing. Why do people catfish and what could people do to convince others not to catfish? People, we talked about this before, stop lying, people. Stop deceiving. Don't do it. I get the reasons, but let's not joke around about it. It's not okay. Let's not make it normal. It's harmful. You're hurting someone, and and you're denying yourself a chance to actually heal. This person who was catfishing her ex-boyfriend to see if she went, he went back with his ex-wife, there's obviously something going on there pain-wise that she is avoiding through this immoral deception. And I'm guessing, well, okay, so you ask patron Jess from Utah, you know, why do people catfish and why do people, you know, convince others uh, and and what can people do to convince others not to catfish? Well, the first answer, I don't know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure research is coming out about this, but my hypothesis for a lot of people catfishing, and particularly your friend, is that they have a lot of pain from the loss that they went through. They have perhaps complicated grief. They have powerlessness. They don't have any way out of the pain. They've tried to get out of the pain. They can't. And they see this as a way to alleviate their pain. They're trying to gain power. They're, there's this weird cognitive bias that we have when we're in pain of this sort where we try to gather information. We feel like if we have the information, then we won't hurt anymore. And sometimes that's true, but oftentimes it's not. An akin situation would be your spouse cheats on you and you're trying to recover from that as a couple and you keep asking your spouse to give you more and more details. Did you orgasm? These kinds of things are common questions that people will ask. Uh, did you like it? How many times? What position were you in? Where were you? Did you order the code red? Yeah, these kinds of things. And the f- impulse is, well, if I know the information, I'll feel more at ease. But when you have that information, you now recreate it in your brain. And now you're it's like you're putting yourself in the room as it's happening, which is not a good idea for your mental health, really. It'd be like someone dies at war and you keep asking their uh, you know, soldier, their friends that they died with, how did he die? You know, what did it look like? How much blood was there? You know? Yikes. And, it's, and the, the people will do that too. And I get it. And sometimes it can help. But it doesn't always help. Anyway, but so I, that's what I'm guessing your friend is doing. 
and she doesn't have any other way of processing that pain. She should obviously go to a therapist. There's also a chance that in her cultural pocket, Jess, that they've normalized this, that I'm just going to take a guess and say that your friend did not invent this in her group. You know, maybe it's a friend group or it's a Twitter group of people that are like, you know, if you're really curious, just make a fake profile and then you could figure things out. Or they saw it in a TV show and it wasn't consequenced in any way or a reality TV show for that matter. Even the the show Catfishing will sometimes normalize catfishing, you know, that that's a TV show, right, with, with those guys. Yep. And uh, we need to stop that. It's deceptive. It's flat out immoral. And yeah, I'm glad, Patron Jess, you have a negative reaction to it because – it, that is awful. There's so many bad things that could happen to the ex-boyfriend for no reason because of this. The only time you should be catfishing is if you work for the FBI or the CIA or something. You're running a, a thing trying to catch bad people. <laughs> yeah, sting operation. Anonymous listener, they, them, they say, I'm curious to know what your professional opinion is regarding breakup sex. In one of your YouTube reaction videos... I remember you talked about the opportunity for two people to grieve an ending relationship uh, together as a helpful part of the moving on process. Do you think breakup sex could be part of that grieving process in a functional way? Berto, what do you think? I mean, I went through this for sure one time. (laughs) I mean, I broke up multiple times, but there was one time in particular that there was a breakup where uh, it was, I mean there in my top five best sex of all time and yeah i mean i guess it must have been all the emotions you know because it wasn't a situation where we were like i'm through with you i hate you it was like man this sucks but this isn't working out and so we were both super sad and i think that really helped in some way um, I don't know if it, I guess, I don't know if the sex being great helped or not, because maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but it definitely felt like a moment, you know, it, it was a moment I would never forget kind of thing. And I, I have to say, it's gotta be a sense of release <laughs> happening for both people that felt trapped in a relationship. And then it's like, well, I guess we don't have to do this anymore. Okay, well then let's, let's go all out. Go all out here. (laughs) Yeah, it's a case-by-case basis, anonymous listener. For some, breakup sex could be a good good thing. It could be an expression of love and caring for the other person as you're saying goodbye. It could be kind of like a ceremonial act, in a sense, for closure. Uh, Some people feel about it that way. It could also remind you of why you didn't want to be with that person in the first place. You know, because... Sometimes as you're breaking up, there's a idealization that you might have of the other person. And because you miss them because you're breaking up and there's some distance there. And then when you actually have sex with them and you hang out with them for a little bit, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why we, we weren't good together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that can be helpful. And for others, breakup sex could be a terrible thing. It could give the other person the wrong impression and lead someone on. It could make someone feel like they're a piece of meat. You know, some people might say, 
might agree to break up sex just because they're desperate to have closeness with that person again. And in the back of their mind, they're like, well, maybe this is the beginning of us getting back together when in fact it was just for sex and that could feel very bad to someone. It could also make it hard for one or both people to move on from the relationship. If you have breakup sex every three days for the for two years, it might <laughs> hinder your ability to move on. So it's a it's really a case by case basis. But the but the question, anonymous patron, is great because I'm often railing about this. And one of the very first episodes Berto and I did when we were in Ballard outside, do you remember? And I was talking about the dumper and the dumpy. Do you remember all that stuff? Was this when we had all the construction work happening in the background? Or was this just outside on the table? Yeah, on the table. Was it that cold day? Like we had our little coats on and stuff? Yeah. Yes, I remember that. So yes. one of our, so this would have been 2009. <laughs> and Bert yeah. and, and we, we were answering emails, I think. And, and I was talking about how... If you're the dumper, you have a, a moral obligation. I've been saying this for decades, apparently. If you're the dumper, dumper you, and the you, dumpy. <laughs> you have a moral obligation to uh, do what you can within reason to make the adjustment of breaking up easier for the dumpy. Mm. Uh, there's this notion in culture that you make a clean break. And certainly that can be the wise thing to do, but it certainly isn't all, all the time in every case. At the very least, you have a responsibility to think about it and ask the dumpy what's going to be best for them. Because in some optimal breakups, the dumpy needs to have a month or two or three where they have occasional conversations with you. And you indulge them, even though you don't want to have the conversation as a dumper, you accommodate that because you have empathy and you care. And the dumpy is like, I don't understand. Why did you break up with me again? And you're like, well, I've already gone over this, but you know, it's because of this and because of that. Well, I don't understand because you said this six months ago and you're like, yeah, well, I don't know. I was kind of confused at the time. I kind of believed it. Right. Yeah. Well, you told me you loved me. For like three years, was that all a lie? No, that wasn't a lie. I actually did love you, and I still do in a sense. I just don't want to be with you romantically anymore. Right. Well, you're just a big, horrible person who doesn't care about me. And you're like, well, I don't, that's not the way I see it. But, you know, I understand that you're hurt, and I get it. But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know what happened. I just, I just didn't want to, I just don't want to be with you anymore. I'm, I'm really sorry, you know. And, you allow that process to happen as the dumper, then the dumpy will likely benefit. And you might benefit as the dumper too. Now, it's again, it's very complicated because obviously if the dumpy is being abusive to you or something, then sure. let's not go there. But um, but uh, there's this notion in society that you have to somehow just like clean break. And that is, you know, that's not always the best thing to do. It's not the moral. Th it certainly is the easiest thing to do. It like yeah. a drive by breakup of like, by the <laughs> way, I break up, you know, and then five minutes later, you're like, okay, I'm going home. I, and I'm don't ever contact me again. Cause, cause that means you're stalking me, you know? Right. Oh my God. They keep texting me all this stuff. And it's like, well, maybe they need some to talk about some stuff, you know, maybe they have questions. Maybe they're emotionally suffering because of you, and maybe you have right. a responsibility within reason. You know, if 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 they're not, if the dumpy is being fair, you know, then maybe it's your responsibility as a human being to help, right? 
And if breakup sex is a part of that, then that's fantastic. All right. Anonymous patron says, my boyfriend and I sleep separately sometimes and we are having trouble connecting. So my boyfriend and I, we sleep in separate rooms at night and we are having trouble connecting. Is this why is sleeping separately the reason why we're having trouble connecting? Berto, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it depends, right? It's a very chicken and egg situation because you could be choosing to sleep separately because you're not connecting or whatever. But I mean, first of all, like, I don't think there's something inherently uh, problematic with sleeping separately in some situations or maybe all the time. Like, I know couples that have been together forever who sleep in different rooms uh, and they've had different reasons that I know of. Like, in one case... Uh, the guy was a snorer. Just, they just di- didn't like that, and so they slept in different rooms. They, they've been together forever. Uh, in another case, um, they, it was more a matter of like lifestyle. Like One person stayed up really, really late and fell asleep watching TV and then bothered the other person. Actually, right now, like my grandparents, my 90-billion-year-old 90, 90 grandparents, uh, together forever, they're still you know, they're together forever. They're going to, till death do us part. And basically, my grandpa and my grandma now have different life patterns at night. And so they end up sleeping in different rooms, like whatever. But of course, if you are sleeping in different rooms and you're having what you feel is issues connecting, it could be that sleeping, not being together intimately or not, or not offering opportunities for intimate connection is not helping you connect. That could be related for sure. Yeah. So let's look at the research. There's some research indicating that there is an increased chance of attachment and relationship satisfaction when you sleep together, which makes sense. But it's a minor effect, meaning that it, it like if uh, when you average all the couples that sleep together in the same room, and then you average all the couples that don't sleep together, there's a minor difference in terms of the average scores of relationship satisfaction. And of course, there's a big bell curve, right? The second thing is, is that there's, there's also some evidence that it helps people get better sleep, but that's also minor. But it, there seems to be some evidence that when you sleep with your spouse, uh, there are benefits in the REM cycle or deeper sleep or something, even though you might be kind of distracted by the person. Anyway, we seem to but have it does, evolved it, it, to sleep with other humans. It kind of makes yeah. some sense. We, we, we seem to feel safer. I mean, that's just my guess is that when we sleep with other people and hear, you know, subconsciously hearing them breathing or just knowing that they're over there makes us feel more safe, which might actually enhance sleeping, right? Yeah, but it, I was going to say, but it might also vary by by age too like you might be fine early and as you start getting older you start getting a little more you know specific and peculiar and snorry or whatever you know like things change <laughs> right and that leads me to my third point which is that there's also evidence that that sleeping together can create sleep problems for people so um if you have snoring or CPAP machines or you wake up at different times like one person watches tv late at night or one person likes to read a book in bed. One person likes the, the light on. One person doesn't. One, one person, or if you're sleeping with different people or having orgies, like this can get in the way. Yeah, or uh, to be serious, like you sleep with animals, right? And one person likes that, one person doesn't. So when you do that, then 
you're definitely at risk of missing sleep. And when you are sleep deprived, which most Americans are, there are a lot of problems that can happen when you're sleep deprived, depression, anxiety, suicide, literally, academic performance, work performance, ADHD, violence, crime, drug problems, uh, physical, so many physical, dementia, uh, high blood pressure. Like there's so many things associated with sleep deprivation. Um, you, as a physician, you might accidentally kill some of your patients because you're sleep deprived. Uh, they, they've demonstrated that as well. So the thing to do as a couple is to think about uh, a number of scenarios. One, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, and we're talking you need eight hours, and sometimes they say seven, but I feel like that gives a, some people an excuse to get like six hours. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying eight, you know, because there are plenty of adults who need absolutely eight hours. And also some people think of – their hours of sleep are the hours they spend in bed, but actually you might need like nine and a half hours in bed for eight hours of sleep, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So you need about eight hours of sleep at night. Younger people need uh, more nine plus hours. And if you're not getting that amount of sleep, you need to do a lot of things to figure out how to fix that. It should be your number one priority. Now, it might be hard to fix, and it might actually not be possible given certain factors, but do yeah. not delay. You know, if you have a to-do list of, oh, I got to work on that, you know, outdoor uh, situation, <laughs> or I got to put that that new molding on the basement floor, I've got to, uh, you know, I, I really want to get my project done. No, all that stuff is a distant second to getting your sleep situation in order. And you want to consult with, with experts about this because there's so many different reasons why people do not get enough sleep at night. And, and as you get older, there can be apnea and all sorts of really just horrific things. And so make sure you get that. Now, maybe that means sleeping not with your partner. If, you know, that could be one of the things that you consider. Um, but the problem is, is that because of stigma, because there's so much judgment out out there about couples not sleeping in the same room, I'm guessing there are millions of couples, particularly around the world, who would benefit from sleeping in a separate room, but don't do it because they don't want to be judged or they don't want to hurt their partner. When it comes to your sleep, I mean, at the very least, experiment with it, right? Like it, it, it could be one of the seven factors you find are key to you getting a good night's sleep. And do not give in to the stigma. Now, the other thing to think about is if you're a long-distance relationship and you're like, our relationship is fine, but you feel distant, it could be because you're not sleeping in the same room very often. And it's not <laughs> just sleeping in the same room. It's saying good night together and saying good morning together. You know, there's a lot right. of things that go with sleeping in the same room. So it kind of cuts both ways. It's like there's stigma for people to stay in the same room when they shouldn't. And there's also like this loosening of, of we're all adults here and not recognizing the need for attachment and the animal side of us that needs to be physically close to other animals. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Next email. But first, let's take a break. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it.
Hey, Deserving Listeners, as you know, I'm constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. One of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp.com. So if you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to BetterHelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the slash Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it helps us out. I get a lot of emails from you saying that you're looking for a therapist. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist. But I know it can be really hard to find a good one to work with. Like I said, one of the options available to try is BetterHelp.com Kirk. And you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide, which is amazing. I've been told that you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message with your counselor anytime. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And I've been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy. So go to BetterHelp.com Kirk to get 10% off your first month of therapy today. So, Berto, if you're going to catfish the listeners <laughs> into becoming a patron of the podcast, what would that sound like? Uh, y- yes, hello? Oh, yeah. Uh, hi. Um, I'm, I'm doing uh, some research. I- I'm a university student. Uh, I would just like to ask you a few questions about your uh, um, sexuality and your preferences and uh, and your um, other interests and things like this. Anyways, I'm just going to rattle off a few questions. But before I do, I just need you to um, please uh, maybe go to a website that I'll give you and uh, um, type in some information. It, it really has nothing to do with this, but uh, I think you'll find it quite pleasurable to do. Uh, I also will need your, your credit card information. Uh, my name, by the way, is Miles Angelus. So, uh, yeah, uh, the website is Psychology in Seattle. And... Um, there you will find some links to something called Patreon. Uh, I am the president of this company and, uh, I, and also a researching student. Um, and so I need you to please contribute and become a patron because that will enhance your sleep apnea and also make it so that you can be really uh, awesome. Anyways, I got to go. Bye. Listener Claire from the UK says, hey, Kirk and Umberto, my question is inspired after watching the new Aladdin remake. If you were given three wishes, what would they be? Beto, what would they be? Three oh wishes. Oh, my gosh. And you're out, Okay, you can't wish for infinite wishes and things like this, you know. Uh, you can't cheat. You can't hack your way around this. All right. Well, you could wish Man. for in, infinite minus one. <laughs> no, but in reality, like, if I could, like, this is it. Like, I actually, I'm going to get three wishes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, you got to be careful because we still live in the real world. So, for example, if I asked for a trillion dollars, there's a lot of implications. Like, it might devalue dollars altogether. It might, you know, like, there might be a lot of unintended consequences. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I did the same thing. I'm like, well, you know, because in the movies, it's always a bad thing. It always backfires, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> like, I was watching Rick and Morty. I'm actually starting from the beginning, and when uh, the dog pees on the floor and the father asks Rick, it's like, can you make the dog a little smarter so that, uh, you know, and, and Rick, Rick is just like, yeah. uh, be careful what you ask for. Okay. I just made this thing. And he, he puts his helmet on the dog and the dog now has yep. intelligence. And then fast Kicks forward over. like, like 12, 12 hours and the dog has made a mech unit thing to walk around in and is standing over the, the daughter's bed and saying, where are my testicles? <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Where are my testicles? Yeah. 
Well, so anyways, here's what I would do. And this would probably still backfire. But I would say, all right, step one. I want all, I want you to invent and whatever needs to be done scientifically here so that all the world energy is 100% renewable and in such a way that doesn't blow up the planet in like 10 years. Come on, like 11 years. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, So wait, I'm Aladdin and I'm like, okay, wait, wait. Put that in one sentence and one wish. Go. Okay, fine. Look, make all the world's energy be renewable. That's it? Well, that's step one. That's my first wish. Okay. Okay, what's your second wish? Okay, my second wish would be... Um, all right, my second wish would be make... What do, well, wait, what do you mean by renewable? Um, so that... Because like, I can make an endless geyser of oil. This is what I'm talking about. That's why I needed more, more. Um, well, fine, fine. Make 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 all the world's electricity and um, and vehicles and everything run on solar power. Okay. Still, you, you're a genie. Just do it. <laughs> okay. Just do it. Just do it. Okay. So now we're not using oil. We're not using anything. Great. Okay. Okay. So we're not polluting. Pollution stops. Goes from a hundred billion to zero. Okay. okay. Second, um, I want you to. Cure, God. Oh, fudge. I want you to cure all humans right now suffering from any ailment that deviates from the norm of human uh, homeostasis. <laughs> homeostasis. Oh, my gosh. Now all of a sudden people have cancers growing out of their heads. Okay, anyways, <laughs> just do it. Come on. Okay, all right. Okay. And then number three, sure, I want uh, just just a billion dollars. Just give me a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for me, it was, it, I just want the pandemic to be over. I, I, I don't know what wish to say, like everyone's vaccinated or COVID doesn't exist anymore. I, I don't know, just something along those lines. I just cannot wait until it's over. I, I, I am fantasizing about the party that I'm going to throw, Birdo. Um, so just get ready. <laughs> am I supposed to be invited to these parties? <laughs> no, you're going to be the caterer. Just joking. <laughs> Um, it is, uh, it's going to be weeks long. There's, there's going to oh be gosh. circus animals and all solar powered. Okay. Number no two, get sick. number two is, uh, we all stay young and healthy, including pets. Oh my gosh. Forever. No one yeah. has kids. Uh, well, and then number three is unlimited resources. Okay, okay. And space. You forgot about space. And well, now that's we have, a resource. We're all crammed. That's no, a resource. That, uh, you know, that's a resource. Yes. That's a resource. But so we live so far apart from each other because you never said we could travel at super, super, uh, super light uh, travel. So people live so far away that you'll never see people. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, Runners up, I had uh, no political problems because that's been on my brain. Yeah. Uh, what another one was? Um, I never have to buy another fucking cell phone. By the sorry for the swear. Um, I am getting so tired of buying a cell phone every year or two. I, I every time you get one, it's like, why would I need another cell phone? And they, it always becomes obsolete. And these are expensive things. And I yeah. And every time I buy a new one, I have to adjust to some new way of dealing Bang. with world when I had I didn't need it to be anyway. Yeah. And then another, my last runner-up was Charlie Kaufman writes a good movie and Michelle Gondry or Jeez. Spike Jones directs it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant. Listener Suhaim from Qatar, he writes, 
I am a conservative and orthodox guy. So with women, I restrict myself to talking about professional matters only. Also, I am happily married. But I recently noticed that I am always key, I, I am always more keen in helping my... You always know someone's not from the States when they use the word keen. You know what hmm. I mean? But recently I noticed that... It's a keen I am, observation. <laughs> but I... I, I recently noticed that I'm always more keen in helping my female peers. Why is this? Is this something natural for all guys? Why can't I treat both men and women equally? Listener Suhaim from Qatar has that question. Beto, what do you think? I mean, okay, so uh, you've been a little puzzled by this that I said before, but I have trained myself over the last 20 years or so to behave very specifically at work. Um, and w the way I behave at work is a very neutral behavior. I, I, I feel, I hope, that I treat most people very close to the same. I don't feel like I'm like, oh, I should help this person a bit more. I mean, the only exception of someone's being rude or something, I might be less inclined to. But... Um, but I don't think that came natural to me. I, I think if I rewind the clock 20, 25 years, I certainly, I'm sure I had different mental models for different people, people that were my age and were like friendly and probably guys that I associated with. I treated one way people that were older and that were, uh, maybe full white, like, you know, that were in charge of things. I probably treated differently. And, and so forth. Anyways, so I do think that there are some uh, patterns that we've grown up with. Um, there, might also, there might also be some, some vestiges of uh, animal instincts in there. Um, however, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's useful in the modern workplace to give preferential treatment to people. I mean, um, I think you should treat your coworkers fairly and equally and um yeah anyways yeah well uh listener suhaim from qatar i don't you're asking you know why you are more keen in helping your female peers i don't know the answer to that question you know you could talk with a therapist maybe or investigate it with people around you there's no way for me to know there are thousands of possible f factors as to why you have a preference for helping your female peers. But just some possible factors off the top of my head is you just like women more than men, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people that have preferences like this. There are women who prefer – we have this assumption that you're supposed to prefer your own gender as a peer. Like if you're a guy, you're supposed to prefer hanging out with dudes. And if you're a woman, you're supposed to prefer having female friends. But why? Why? Why would that be? I mean, certainly it's fine if that's the way it is, but what if you're, you like both genders equally as friends? Or what if you actually like the other gender more? Or what if you like some other gender more? You know, it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with preferring a particular sort of person. Now, what do you do with that? Do you discriminate against the other gender? You know, you just have to really evaluate that. <clears throat> There's a fine line between what you described, which I think is fine, and 
well, but we want to say our sexist, misogynistic jokes, and we can't have women. That's a completely other thing. If that yeah. if that's what your deal is, then no, that's not okay. It's not okay to be like, I like my male thing because we can get away with, or I like my all white people thing because we get away with a bunch <laughs> of black people jokes. No, right, right. no, no, no. Okay, no. <laughs> so, but there's plenty of people. For me, for example, if I just added up all my friends, most of them are men. But if you add up all my best friends, it's like half half women, half men. You know, the Lita Katibi, the first right. co-host, along with you, twelve years ago on this podcast, she was my best friend for many years. And there were other uh, women and girls I was friend, best right. friends with when I was a kid. So there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe that's a factor. Another factor is you're looking for an excuse to flirt. I don't know, but that could be a factor. And there's some light flirting that might be okay, but we probably want to steer away from that at work in, in all likelihood because people aren't probably going to appreciate it and it's probably not good for your marriage. And Which leads me to my third factor, which is that you, you might not be getting your companionship needs met either from your wife or from your attachments as a whole. And it's sneaking out in this, you know, being quote-unquote, more keen in helping your female peers. Um, there are, you asked the question, Suhaim, is it natural for all guys? No, it is not natural for all guys. There's, that's an excuse that misogynists will use. Well, that's, that's the way men are. They can't help but flirt with other women. They have to assert their dominance. No, research does not show that. Uh, there are some researchers that claim that, but when you actually look more closely at the data and you control for certain things, no, it is not an inherent male thing to dominate and make women feel uncomfortable at work. <laughs> so, not. so let me let me push a little bit on this though, because I feel like I, I feel like we're not done with this problem. Like I feel like as a society, we have we do have a pervasive problem with these kinds of things. I know that we've debated many times about what's nurture, nature, science. But I, let's say I give it 100% all to nurture. It's all society, fine. But I, I would still claim that this is why we still have to watch a lot of videos and things because I think there is still a lot of entrenched uh, you know, discrimination and ill treatment to one another and, and across sexes and across races. So when, if a person How in says, the world is that pushing back on what I just said? Because you said that, that it, someone might say like, hey, that's just the way guys are. And I think that from a certain perspective, that's unfortunately true. Well, it, it's unfortunately true that men are taught, that's uh, definitely in our culture, that men are taught that they have the right to abuse and assert and yeah, exactly. uh, dominate and to harm. Uh, that women don't have rights, that women are possessions, and that uh, women are just there for men's pleasure. We're not going to heal them if we tell them that that that's not the way it works. We have to heal them by basically saying that it can't work that way. You know, like, we have to stop that. I I don't know what works. I mean, it depends on the human being, but... um, because especially when you're dealing with someone in a particular echo chamber, a misogynistic echo chamber, and I've argued with these people online. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to get them to change. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, well, the only thing I saw that worked at, like, in the professional corporate environment that I've seen is mandates for, mandates for taking tests, or not tests, uh, classes, and mandates as in, 
oh my gosh, that person just got fired. Oh, oh my gosh, that person just got, you know. And because over the years, I think the more of those things happened, I definitely started seeing kind of a neutralizing of things like, oh. Well, there's many things that change it, including, you know, that's that's one. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're basically talking about getting rid of the bad apples and scaring the Mate the close to bad apples with the firing yeah. of the bad apples. You're talking about taking the man- mandatory classes, which are usually awful, by the way. I've had to take yeah. these sometimes. They are just like some of the dumbest <laughs> things I've ever seen. And I don't know the research on that. I'm sure there is some research, but it's it's a lot of things. One, it begins at birth <laughs> when parents and young children are living their lives. We need to start there because that's where it, a lot of it begins. Uh, it has to do with role models. It has to do with media and movies and TV shows and how gender is you know, depicted and what we uh, basically allow to be normalized in culture. It is uh, helping. It is educating people in school. It's talking about the history of sexism. I mean, the, the thing that worked on me, because I grew up in a sexist society and I was much more sexist when I was younger. Yeah. What worked on me was history. When I learned the history of my society, when it, as it pertained to many things, including gender, it puts into focus what's happening now. Final email, Berto. Whoa. We've reached the bottom of the 12 pages. We've done it. Anonymous listener. I have a massive love for star Wars for me. It is a story of good winning over evil. I'm also a live streamer where I play Star Wars The Old Republic while people watch me and they discuss. The vast majority of people in the discussion indicate that they love the dark side. They revel in killing anyone who betrays them. I don't understand this. Why do people love living out these dark fantasies? I can't help judging them a bit and finding them disturbing. Beto, what do you think? Yeah, that is a fascinating thing. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. So first off, who doesn't love Star Wars? Come on. You know, sure, it's only three movies that happened a long time ago, but still, it's amazing. Um, So when I was in high school, I remember a couple of my good friends got into these. Do you remember these videos that uh, the faces of death? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could never watch those. So for those who don't know what it is, it was way before the internet. There was this videotape or a series of videotapes, VHS tapes, that you could rent. And they had supposed scenes of people dying. So there'd be yeah. a scene of someone getting run over by a car or someone falling off of a cliff or um, someone being in, in an accident or something. And right. It was things that would never be shown on television, but it was, and it was like this, uh, I don't know what you call it, like all young boys of a certain age knew about this, you know, legendary VHS cassette that you just had to watch. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was one of the rare exceptions because I did, I had zero interest in watching this. Not only did I not watch it, I absolutely would silently judge my friends thinking that's not good. You know, and I, and I, in my mind, it was from a few angles. One, um, 
maybe because my dad was a psychiatrist and stuff, I just was like, that's going to have a profound impact on their psyche. Number two, I was, you know, deeply Catholic at the time. So I'm like, oh, that's probably not right to do anyways. And then number three, I actually, I felt like I don't want to watch someone suffering like in real life. I love movies with violence. I, I don't want to see it in real life. Yeah. But that was the difference. To me, the reason I didn't want to watch that tape is because at least it was supposed to be real. But on the other hand, I loved me some movie violence. The more violent, the better. I loved everything, you know, you name it, Predator, Contra, whatever you want. I would love it, enjoy it. Uh, I loved gory. I still do gory horror movies and all these things. People suffering, torture chambers, and love it all. Why am I evil? When Star Wars, The Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic came out, I loved playing, I absolutely went the dark side. I was like, oh, I betrayed my friend. It was a moving moment. Now the question is why? And does that make me evil? Uh, I absolutely made peace with myself. I was like, no, this doesn't make me evil. I just can't do this in real life because I'm not evil. It's because I'm not evil. If I could do this, th the way I think about it is, if there is something I can do and do every day all the time, why would it be interesting for me to do it in a video game? So w do I want to play a video game where I wake up at 7 a.m., I take a shower, I, I drive in a long, slow commute to a job, and I arrive, and then I work for nine hours with boring stuff? And then, No, I don't want to play this game. Why would I want to play this game? Would it make me a good person because that's the game I play? You're describing Sims, by the way, which is one of the most <laughs> no, beloved movies of all, or not. games of all time. But I'm not describing Sims because what do you do in Sims? You don't have to wait eight hours. All you have to do is you have to like run your guy in circles and he gets fit. And then you have to do trap him in a corner and he gets, goes psychotic. And you can drown him in the pool. And then you can do Anyways. That's not but, the way I play Sims. I, I, pl <laughs> I play it just like it's life, you know. And, but it's not because you don't have to waste 20 years of your life getting a television. You actually waste the an point. Hour. The point you're making <laughs> is that... Yeah. You like to play Darth Vader because why? There's a couple reasons. One, I don't get to do this in real life. If I did, I would be bored with it. You also don't get to play Luke Skywalker. Well, and I like playing those too. So, okay, so now we've established why we like fantasy. Right, fine. But, but I guess if the question is, why do you want to be evil? It's like, well, I don't get to be evil. And, and then you say, well, but you also don't get to be the good guy. I get to be the good guy, just not fantastically. Okay, fair. Why Darth Vader? Darth Vader's design is amazing. Like, just character-wise, it's an amazing character design. Power-wise, he was certainly more powerful for most of the situation than the, the series than, than Luke was. Right. Uh, arguably, he was on there with Yoda. Would I like to play Yoda? Yeah, but he's a little, like, more restrictive in his gameplay mechanics, right. I guess. Yeah, that, that's the main <laughs> thing that I thought of, was that for people who are experiencing powerlessness <laughs> and or anger against rules... Uh, in a normal way, like what Berto's expressing. The dark side feels more powerful. Yeah, you, yeah. you can do whatever you want. A as a Jedi, you have, to f you have power, but you have to follow certain rules. Yeah. Uh, when you're dark side, you can literally do anything you want. <laughs> uh, you, can, you can help the good guys if you wanted to, but That's you right. can also kill them all. You could turn on a dime. You're a dark side. You can, you know, this is why we like gangster movies, because they get away with stuff. Absolutely. And why, why uh, Grand Theft Auto is one of the best-selling games of all time. Yeah. Um, another reason is because I think it's 
kind of considered cool these days. When I was young, uh, it was very strange to find people identifying with Darth Vader or any of the bad guys. You know, Batman was just a shade away from Superman. And then the Dark Knight comes out, which was the beginning of that, you know, the Dark Knight, the comic in the yeah. 80s, was the beginning of this new anti-hero thing that was very different. And, you know, up until that time, you know, it was rare to have, I mean, Taxi Driver had an anti-hero in it, but that movie was not well understood when it came out. You know, it was a very right. odd duck among a lot of movies. You know, in the 80s, you had Rambo and, and uh, you know, Predator. You know, you had these characters that were just like 100% good. And so um, I think that it's just a trend uh, that people have now. You know, it, yeah. if it, when you stand in a group of video, like hardcore video gamers, and you say, I don't like playing Darth Vader because I like to be good, you're going to get laughed at. <laughs> like yeah. people are going to be like, that's nerdy, you know, like cool kids play dark side. That's, that's kind of the thing. Not that it's wrong to play dark side because it's just a flipping video game, but I'm just saying that uh, I think it's a trend. Even so Daggerfall is in the series, like the, uh, oblivion and the, uh, uh, what was the dragon one, uh, Skyrim and stuff. Uh, Daggerfall was like the second one in that series. Amazing game back in the day. Uh, me and my buddy, Eric, we would, we spent like so much time playing that game. And one of our favorite things was absolutely seeing what we could get away with, trying to break the law, see if we could fight the soldiers in town. And again, I think it goes back to, well, you asked me, you said, well, but you also can't be Luke Skywalker. But it's not about a specific character. It's about the things that character is supposed to do and not do. And I think you nailed it, that it's like, well, sure, I could follow the rules, but I have to do that already. Right. And, you know, video games are escape and... Uh, I love gangster movies. So, but the thing that I should say is that I have a hard time playing evil characters in video games in the same way that you don't want to watch the faces mm. of death. <laughs> I, I actually, every once in a while I'll sit down. In fact, just before you and I got on the, uh, you know, thing here, Berto was recording. I, I, I just, so Dungeons and Dragons, they, they're starting to come out. They're starting to reissue all these old, uh, adventures, all these old, you know, modules from the 80s uh -huh. in in modern rule set. So, you know, oh, the, okay. the Dungeons and Dragons rule set in the old, in the 80s was really terrible. Like it was, didn't make any <laughs> sense, you know, in some ways it was kind of cool in that way, but, and right now there's fifth edition, which we play with the other guys. Yeah. It's much simpler. It's, it's, and I'm much more familiar with it. Well, they're updating a lot, the adventures. And I, oh, I was saying, oh, you know what? And I've actually been, uh, playing by myself <laughs> just been <laughs> going through these old uh modules to get to know them and i was like oh i should make a a, a party of characters that are evil i want to make a bunch of kobolds and i'll make them all evil <laughs> and i've done that so many times i've said okay i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make an evil character and then when it comes to playing it i i always play just ultra good because <laughs> i i can't help it you know like when in Dungeons and Dragons, when we we're playing with the guys, uh, I don't know if it's last time or the time before that, and we're about to get on the blimp, and that girl is coming with us. Oh, what, right. And I was the sole alone person going like, 
it, by the way, if you're listening and you don't know, there's we played such as Dragon's Game on the podcast, and there was this moment where my character, he's a rogue. He's supposed to be the most shadiest of all the characters. He's supposed yeah. to be like a thief and underground kind of guy. And this girl is coming with us, uh, this daughter of this guy, and she could be useful, but she could get hurt. And I was like, no, even if she's helpful, putting her in harm's way is stupid. Why? She has no skill set. She should not be coming with us. And everyone is opposing me. You were opposing me. The dungeon master was opposing me. The girl was opposing me. And I just can't help it. I'm like, even in a a world that doesn't exist, (laughs) and even if the world is saying, no, we want her to come, I can't deal with it. I always play light side. I always play Jedi. That's I funny. always play the good guy. In Skyrim, I I tried hard not to kill the guards, but I think I I think I killed one because oh they they just randomly attacked me. And then once you kill one, they always want to get you. you so know? you probably couldn't play Grand Theft Auto then. <laughs> Well, Grand Theft Auto. When I've played it, I have played. I've played. I yeah. played. Uh, but you like, just don't do any bad. You try to stay within the. I try color to do, within the lines. Well, right. I mean, define bad in Grand Theft Auto because you're a gangster fighting other gangsters. Well, no, but you you know you can be. But I don't run over pedestrians. That's what I mean. You can run over pedestrians. You can shoot people randomly. All those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, I, I don't. That doesn't make me feel good. It actually makes yeah. me feel bad. I mean, I, I, I don't get any pleasure from that, and I. And honestly, I agree with the anonymous listener of just like it's disturbing because it's one thing to say I like to play Darth Vader. It's another thing to say to, to revel in running over people in Grand Theft Auto. You know, it's a video game. It's not real. It's, of course, we all understand that. But but so that leads me to my next point is that actual psychopaths are in the world. These people yep. do not care about human life or human feelings. Some of them are sadists and actually enjoy hurting other people. Okay, so if you're a psychopath, and there are millions of them all over the world, and you're a sadist, where do you go, if not the internet, to enact your sick pleasure upon other things? Uh, Because you can't hurt your neighbor, you'll go to jail. But you certainly can hurt a lot of people and creep the heck out of a lot of other people while you're doing it because you're giggling the whole time while you're, you know, gutting someone in, you know, (laughs) Star Wars, the old Republic, or you're talking constantly about how you, you know, completely humiliated this other person or something. So that's another reason now, of course, that's not most people. Most of the people who play dark side aren't psychopaths, but... If you're a psychopath, you're probably playing dark side. Okay. The, the fourth thing is, Berto also kind of referred to this as well, is it's just fun. It's fun to play something different. That's why we play video games. You know, as Berto was saying, it, it'd be dumb to play a game that was life, but, you know, aside from Sims, you know. <laughs> but you you can even say Sims, obviously, is, you know, is beyond life. It's not your life, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, but <laughs> whenever I play Sims, I make, I make me... And I make it. I make his name Kirk, and I and then I make my wife, and we're married. Yeah. And yeah. I try to get a professional job, and I try to get a sensible car. But imagine I, if it actually took, like, you have to go to four years of school in real it, time. <laughs> it, I don't know how long ago you played Sims, but the more recent versions of Sims, it's it's time consuming, man. Like like when you go to work, you, you can't speed it up. Like you can speed it up, but. <laughs> 
it's not like you can just skip forward. Sure, you know, sure. like you got to sit there and go like, all right, I'm at, I'm at work now. <laughs> like you're just yeah. watching the clock tick by. No, I haven't played since it first came out. But my, my memory of it is that there's always multitasking that you have to be doing because like, okay, I gotta, I'm going to go do this. Oh, but I also want to do this. Oh, but if I do that, I can't do this. And I got, you know. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, I don't know. Yeah. But- I, I, I hear you. And, and, and trust me, I've tried playing games uh, in, a, in a manner where it's like, I'm going to fully, you know, fully commit, like being character and stuff like this. And that can be its own type of fun. Sometimes the games don't support it as well, which is frustrating. Um, but in fact, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about Knights of the Old Republic is that one of the first games where I could actually make meaningful choices as a player that had disastrous consequences. Yeah, that was the for, first, you know, that was the first big game if not the first game where you could actually go dark side and you could choose yeah. and yeah. your actions determined yep. whether you went dark. That was its big yeah. thing. And that was like, whoa, like in a big way too. It wasn't yeah. just like, well, I the ending, at the ending was different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like completely. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so just in summary, when you feel powerlessness, you will seek power. And one of the ways to do it is dark side's always going to feel more powerful. Uh, it's cool because it's kind of trendy, and it makes me wonder if in another 40 years it'll be less trendy to be dark side. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or there'll be some third gray side that'll come out. Um, there's ac- Three is there's actual psychopaths in the world, and four, it's just fun to play something different. You know, When we watch the movies, we get a lot of attention on the Jedi. Yeah. So it, it could feel kind of fun to play like, oh, you mean I got to play the Stormtrooper? Like... We don't ever get to explore that side of the world. What does it feel like to be on that side of the of the equation? Yeah, and to run around and actually actually hit your target with your blaster, you know? Right. By the way, Mandalorian uh, second season. Have you? Yeah, watched? I'm, I'm up to date. Oh, I, yeah. I'm not. Um, I but I've watched the first three. I think. So I'm enjoying this season more than the first season. Oh, really? I am, yeah, because it's what I, my main complaint with the first season, I don't know if you remember, I loved the setups and things and like, I just didn't like the dialogue as much. I thought the dialogue was a little, could could have used some more work. Um, I don't, I'm not as bothered this time. I, I will say there's a couple moments that where that comes back, but it's more to do with the actor or, or the actor in question. But uh, overall, I found that the dialogue in this season, I am not bothered by, so. Interesting. So yeah. I, I'm not as gripped by the the second season. I, I, I like it, um, but I'm not as as sort of geeked out by it as I was with the first season. How, how many episodes in are you? Uh, maybe three or so. I'm not okay. sure. I think I there's five. I feel like five. it starts ramping up for sure. Yeah, okay. Well, but, but maybe, I went yeah. back and to update me, I went back to uh-huh. last season and watched the final episode. And it did not hold up to the uh, feeling I had about it the first time I watched I it. So you and I have regressed to the mean in, in this way. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I was watching the final episode, and and the first time I saw it, I remember just really digging it. You know, it felt yeah. like it was a good wrap-up to the whole thing. And watching it this time, I'm like, there are some very slow moments in this episode. Mm. and. Yeah. There's some kind of illogical situations happening here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's in general. The, the way I felt about the first season overall was, I was like, 
I mean, the, the way I felt, I was like, I think if I were 12, my mind would be completely blown. But there were a lot of times where I had to just like be okay with, okay, that doesn't make sense or, or cheesy lines and stuff. Um, I was surprised though, because there are some people like Seth, who I really respect normally with, with movie opinions and things, who were like... 200% on board with every aspect of it. Yeah, I was and pushed back strongly on any of my criticisms. Yeah, <laughs> I was in that direction and I think it was because you know, the Star Wars the episode 789 was in a particular style of Star yeah. Wars art artistry. There was something missing which was yeah. the the simple and the the character and the the things that don't involve like the entire galaxy. <laughs> and these the simple little moments where it's gritty and there's there's dust and it's just yeah. a good guy against bad guy and yeah. something has to happen and you know it 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 really was refreshing to have that story and to have it feel real and because the armor he wears it fe you know i get a sense like that's real metal armor right yeah it's real special <laughs> yeah and when the ig unit shows up you get a sense even though it's you know obviously got to be cg but it yeah it feels it's not over the top it's not like yoda no. flipping all around you know it's just <laughs> it's just a, yeah. a robot walking around and it feels doable like i can get with it which is how star wars felt you were like yeah yeah, that feels like our past. That feels legit. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. That could have happened. <laughs> um, all right, Birdo. That is the end of that. Uh, I've never been able to get to the end of this list of emails. And by the <laughs> way, if you're out there and you want to uh, send us an email for a, uh, an episode for me and Birdo, make sure you write in there like, you know, this is a question for Kirk and Birdo. Cause, and potentially Birdo. Because <laughs> if... Uh, you don't do that, then it gets kind of just shoved into this larger document. So if you want to get your questions answered on the podcast, you're much more likely to get it answered if you address it to me and Berto, by the way. Okay. Um, and I don't know, Berto, I don't want to say goodbye. So tell me a uh, gripe or wrath. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, there's so this 2020 is the year of the wrath, you know, the <laughs> wrath of everything. No, so here's the deal. I recently had a medical scare, another medical scare. It's the second one this year. It's, oh, yeah, it's I didn't, probably related. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that. Um, I don't want to go into all the details, honestly. Uh, I, I, I sort of want to make a video maybe where I talk about it. Uh, but the, the TLDR is that um, it's, I have problems with my thyroid. And it's, gonna be, it's not a quick fix. It's going to be a lifelong thing that I need to deal with. But... The gripe of wrath is, oh my gosh, man, it's 2020, and I feel like when I have a medical concern and a medical question, there's this impenetrable black box that is the medical establishment, and you, of course, if you're dying or if you're in an emergency, like you go to the emergency room and eventually they attend you, and the more dire your circumstances, the, the more likely they'll attend you faster, and while they're attending you... Like, you can get some answers and, like, you can get some attention. But when you're outside of those emergencies, it's like, okay, can I get an appointment? Uh, our next one is in three months. Oh, wow. Can I at least be on a cancellation list or something? And then can I ask some questions? 
mm, you could email some questions. I don't, th- I don't know if they'll get back to you. There's a nurse's line, and then you call the nurse's line, and they don't, they can't disclose most information. I'd like, I don't know, we'd have to, I don't have your charts, I'm not your doctor. And so it's like this incredible frustration. So you have to go to the internet, because then you have to like, see if you can find some information, find support groups, whatever. And then, then, then when you finally, finally get to see the doctor, and you tell them, hey, I was reading this and that, they're like, oh, don't trust anything on the internet. It's like, God damn it. Fine. But where, who do I talk to? I'm dying over here. What do I do? So yeah. my, my gripe of wrath is that it's 2020, people. And look, can we now at least start using like better systems that are doctor vetted to um, give people better guidance than just random hearsay or 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 silence until you know radio silence because it's not i mean look and i'm lucky i have great insurance like i can't even imagine dude if i didn't have insurance what would i do you're screwed yeah yeah it's complicated and i'm sorry you're going through that and i've been there at, at times not to that degree yeah but and it can be very scary and frustrating and you're just thinking okay if i just sort of add up all the three-month waits like uh, (laughs) it'll be five years before i even know what's going on when if i could just talk to these people for five minutes if we were my my bottom line berto is i feel crappy for you because i was there with you you know as you were going through a lot of this that's right because i was you you were my hospital buddy (laughs) yeah we we established that uh, uh episodes ago and you contacted me and I, you know, again, you're not going to go into the details, but it was scary and upsetting and you're... And thank you, by the way, because I felt so much more connected and not alone because in January when that stuff happened to me, which was very similar essentially, but anyways, I, I told you, I was, I felt so alone. Yeah. And then... This time it was really helpful to have. Okay. I had you and I had Ron too and you were both really good. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so it's funny. We, our bodies are just falling apart this year. What a great year! Woo! Yeah, it was. Yeah, twenty twenty one. You had that big problem, and you ended up in the hospital. And then you told me about it on the episode. And then we're like, I was yelling at you. I'm like, Berto, tell me about it. And then we made yeah. a pact that we're gonna be hospital buddies. And then like a month later, I'm in Mardi Gras, <laughs> and I have this. And you're like, I'm in the hospital, hospital with an allergic reaction. Yeah. Which, by the way, I mean, along those lines, I still don't know what the I, what, what the allergen happened? was because because yeah. of the pandemic, I I don't want to clog up the system. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. Well, actually, they canceled. Anyway, point is, is that this uh, this year we've been to the hospital a collective three to, three times <laughs> yeah. with with major major, major issues. But um, but yeah, I, f- I feel bad for you. You know, it was Thank you. and and then afterward, you're still kind of dealing with it. Um. Yeah. Bob is actually dealing dealing with some pain for himself, and so, um, oh, and I know a lot of you out there have similar issues of yeah. chronic pain or some other thing, or a loved one who's going through something, or a, or an animal, a pet that's going through something. <sighs> it's um, it's life, it's life tough. and tough, and we're all in it together, Berto, and everyone out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 